This is an Our Savior Evangelical Free Church podcast. To learn more, visit osefc.org. We are going to pray. We are going to preach. And this is a great text for us this morning. And so let's dive in to God's word together. Would you join me in a word of prayer? God, I do believe that this is among the best chapters of the Bible. And so for such a time as this, we would lay before ourselves, our congregation, what you have laid before us in our word, which is that you have done a great work to save and you are doing a great work to grow us and to mature us in Christ. I pray that as we study these verses from the book of Romans, that you would transform hearts and minds through the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us and that we would walk in newness of life, liberated from sin and condemnation. Thank you. May your name be praised. May we keep in step with the Spirit. Amen. Well, I have to tell you that when I originally thought of calling this series the best chapter in the Bible, I just wondered if that was too over the top. I mean, can we really say that one chapter of the Bible is even better than any others, much less identifying it as one of the best. Well, two weeks of study in, my second sermon in the series, my confidence in calling it the best chapter in the Bible has only grown. It's certainly among the best chapters in the Bible. It's that good. And today we're going to look at verses 3 and 4. So turn there in your Bible, Romans 8, 3 and 4. If you're wondering why we're only doing two verses, you can get used to this pace. That's the way it's going to go for quite some time. I think the way we have it laid out is we're not going to do any more than four or five verses at one time in all of Romans 8 over the next several months. So look down at your Bible and read along as I read Romans 8, 3 and 4. For God has done with the law weakened by flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but we walk according to the spirit. In Romans 8, 1 It says that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Verse 2 says that can be true because of what Christ accomplished when he died on the cross. After the cross, there's a new way of relating to God. People used to relate to God outside of themselves. There was a law, and people broke the law, and so they stood condemned. Now there's a new kind of law, but it's not like the old law. The old one is called the law of sin and death because that's what it did. It pointed out sin and it condemned to death. The new law is called the law of the spirit or the law of Christ. And that law sets you free. It redeems you from death and it makes you alive and it's given to anybody Anybody 
who is in Christ. This chapter begins and ends with that phrase, in Christ. It's the perfect way to describe the assurance we can have from God. Verse 1 says there's no condemnation in Christ. And verse 39, all the way at the end, says nothing can separate us from God in Christ. Saying we are in Christ might sound common, but it's anything but common. It's the most glorious way that we could ever be known. It's the most special address that we could ever be given. Now, right now, you're probably in your home. It's one way of saying we're in something. We have a lot of ways of saying in something. You're in your home. We know what that means. We know that being in your home means that you're under your roof and inside of your walls. Students, in another way, say they're in school. It's a different use. They're not always in the school building. They're not even going to the school building right now. They mean they are working through an educational curriculum towards a degree. People can be in love or in a marriage or in a family. That's a different kind of in than in a house or in a school or in a club. Here's why being in Christ is the best in to be. All of the other things that I just listed are temporary. Being in Christ lasts forever. Even if every one of those things ceased to be, and they could, any one of those things that you are in could be gone in an instant. If all of those other things that you're in were gone, you would still be in Christ. Even if everything in your life is gone, your life itself is over even you're still going to be in Christ, and when you are in Christ, you are with God. And there's no condemnation, there's no separation for those in Christ. So before we go any further, are you in Christ? Have you ever said, Jesus, I want you to be in me, and I want to be in you? Have you ever said that? Verses 3 and 4 show us how this happens, and it's miraculous. It's not something you take part in at all. It's entirely a work of God, and it's all done by grace. So let's look at these verses again. There are three key words that mark out this work of God that I want you to see. There's the law. There's the flesh, and there's the spirit. The law, the flesh, and the spirit. Let's look at the first one, the law, at the beginning of verse 3. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. So what has God done that the law could not? Well, first, just what, what is the law? The law is the commands of God. In the Old Testament, sometimes when they say the law, it refers to the Ten Commandments. Sort of a summary statement 
or a first principles of the law of God. Sometimes the law refers to a more detailed explanation of morality. In the New Testament, Jesus says that the whole law can be summed up by saying, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, Romans 8 could have any of these definitions in mind, and the writer of Romans, the Apostle Paul, still calls it the law of sin and death in verse 2. The reason he calls it that is not because it's not from God, but because even God knows it can only do one thing. It only condemns. If we want to be free in Christ and have peace in Christ and joy in Christ, then we need to stop putting ourselves under the law and let God put us under Christ. We like to be in control. And the main way that we like to be in control is feeling like if we can understand something, then we can have mastery over it. And if we master it, then we can bend it to our will. If I can know something, it means I'm smarter and more capable than that thing. And then I can manipulate the thing. And then I can bend it around my will. Right now, that's why a virus can be so scary to us. At a basic level, we understand some things about a virus. But we don't really know it very well at all. Viruses very well at all. That's why we can't do anything. That's why it's so scary. We can't see them with the naked eye. We certainly can't make it do what we want it to do. It's actually the same, believe it or not, with our own behavior. Most of the time, we know what we should do. But often, we don't do it. That's the problem. We know what we should do. That's not the problem. It's that we don't do what we know we ought to do. And so our natural reaction, our natural approach to seeing what we ought to do but not doing it is to try to master our own behavior. We try to bend our bodies and our minds, even our spirits, to our own will. But that doesn't, that, that doesn't work because we can't stop sinning. Sometimes we even sin more while we're trying to sin less. But at the very least, the, most, the more we try within ourselves to control sin, the more we will find. But finding sin doesn't increase our liberation from it. If anything, it just enslaves us to it all the more. Now, there, there are two key places where, where Paul shows us this principle at work in his own life. One was in the previous chapter of Romans, chapter 7, and the other is in Philippians 3. In chapter 7, Paul says, the more I try to not be jealous of others, the more jealousy I find in my heart, and what's worse, I can't do anything about it. In other words, I find jealousy, I try to not be jealous, but I can't stop being jealous. In Philippians 3, Paul says, I tried the law, I tried it out, and I was really, really good at it. He actually says the word blameless. He was blameless before the law. But here's what happened to Paul, and this is what happens to us when we try to bend even our own thoughts around our own wills. Paul was blameless according to the law, but then pride set in. 
Pride is far more insidious than many of the outward sins we're trying to explicitly address. The same thing will happen in us. If we have some measure of success at obeying the law, we do not become more humble, more gentle, more grace-filled. We become more proud and arrogant. And it's actually judgmentalism that sets in. Have you, have you ever known somebody? Probably a better way to ask this question is, have you ever felt like you were having some success, some aspect of morality, and it made you more loving, kinder, gentler? No, that's not the way it works. The veneer of our own success actually makes us harder. It makes us harsher. We become judgmental toward people who aren't as successful or who can't put it together like we can. We look at other people as having drug us down. We don't have compassion for other people. We loathe them because they're not put together like we are, and they just can't get over their own problems like we have, we believe. And so we lack grace toward people who can't do what we believe we ourselves have done. And any small achievement we make in another area of sin is overridden by the far more devastating, far more disastrous consequences of becoming unloving and ungracious toward the people around us, the people that we love. The law can't help us out of this cycle. All the law can do is point out where you fail. It cannot atone for your failure. It can't make it right. When I was in school, we took quite a few what are called Scantron tests. They were these narrow sheets of paper. You've probably taken these. And they're specifically designed to be fed into these large machines that would run them through, and then they would grade the tests. Every question had to be multiple choice, like between two and four or five answers. And the Scantron would tell you which ones you got wrong. Later, I think... The machines could at least mark the right answer for you. But all the early ones especially could do was point out the wrong answers. And even ones that could later mark the correct choice couldn't help you understand why you got it wrong. They couldn't teach you or show you a better way. And so the law is a little bit like a scantron, especially because it's been weakened by the flesh. All it can do is point out failure but it can't teach. It can't show a better way. Now, this is the first time the flesh comes up in Romans 8, but it's all over the place in Paul's other writings. He calls the flesh the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. In Romans 7, he calls the flesh our sinful passions. But be careful. Be careful here not to think of the flesh as something that is no longer part of the Christian's life. Listen to Galatians 3.3. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? So these are Christians. They're in the Spirit. They've begun by the Spirit, but they still have the flesh. 
The right way to understand the flesh is to think of it as our natural selves. There is going to be bad, but there can also be some good mixed in. Now, earlier this week, I got up one morning just ornery. I was snippy and short, and I just woke up kind of angry. I, I didn't sleep well. I was hungry. But you know what? I had coffee, had a cup of coffee, had some breakfast. I apologized to Holly, and I was all right then for a little while. But then I probably said or did something later that was selfish and sinful. And that's how it is with the flesh. Sometimes it's bad. It gets a little bit better for a while. It's not all bad. But don't make the mistake of thinking that you're only in the flesh when you sin. You're in the flesh. I'm in the flesh all the time. In this life, we are always in the flesh. We can't be separated from it. So give me coffee in the morning, meat for most of my meals, and I can put it together for a little while. And that's the problem. I feel like I've put it together, but I haven't really changed anything. I'm not really any different. I'm just covering over the sinfulness that's clearly been in me. It was just in me a few, it was in me a few minutes ago and evident. It's in me right now, and it will be in me in the future until I'm glorified. Now, this is at the heart of these verses, and it's at the heart of the gospel. So you have to get this. You have to get this next part. You're not just in the flesh when you do bad things. In this life, you're in the flesh all the time. You will do some good things. What we cannot believe, and this is where a lot of people miss the gospel. They miss the true nature, their true nature, and they miss the grace of God. Don't miss the grace of God here. We cannot believe that we are mostly fine on our own, but occasionally, when we're bad, we need God to make up for our shortcomings. The truth is that our nature, being in the flesh, is never good enough. The problem is not that we are bad all the time. Sometimes we can even be pretty good. Most of the time, I think it's fair to say we're probably just somewhere in the middle. Our problem is that we're never entirely good. That's the standard because God is entirely good all the time. Not only is he never bad, he's never in between. Where we spend the majority of our lives, he doesn't need sleep or coffee. He doesn't get hangry. We are natural. He is supernatural. We are in the flesh, and without him, we are under the law, and together the law and the flesh can only condemn. To be with God, God has to take what is natural, and he has to make it supernatural. He is spirit. So he has to make us like him, spiritual. The miraculous way he does that is in the second half of verses three, verse 3 and in verse 4. Let me just read that second half of verse 3 into verse 4 again. 
By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. God gives his spirit by sending Jesus. It says they're in the likeness of sinful flesh. That's a perfect phrase. Saying Jesus came in the likeness of sinful flesh makes sure we don't think he came in actual sinful flesh because he didn't. It was in the likeness of it, but there was no sin in him. It also doesn't say he came in the likeness of regular old flesh as if he only appeared to be a man. He came in the flesh, so he was a real man. But his flesh was only like that of sinful people. He had no sin himself. And so when Jesus willingly goes to the cross, he does that as a real man, able to represent us before God like another real man, the first Adam in the Garden of Eden did. Where that Adam sinned in disobeying God, Jesus, a kind of second Adam, never sinned. He fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law. Therefore, he didn't deserve death. So when he was put to death anyway, he was able to become the perfect sacrifice to atone for sin once and for all. Where we were once dead under the law and in the flesh, Jesus now gives us life under the Spirit, by grace. And I want to say that last part again, because it's so important. Where we were once dead under the law in the flesh, now we're under the Spirit, by grace, for anybody who's in Christ Jesus. I want to show you the, the relationship here between the flesh, the law, and the Spirit. We might think that the answer to the law is grace. But that's not the way that Paul lays it out. It's not just that God decides that the law is no longer valid, gives grace. He doesn't. The requirements of the law must still be fulfilled. The condemnation the law brings is still real. What God does is sends Jesus to fulfill the law, thereby breaking its condemnation. And by grace, he sends the Spirit to teach us not to walk according to what is natural in our flesh, but what is spiritual or supernatural. So the opposite of the law is not grace. The opposite of the law is spirit. The reason that's so important is because of what God ultimately wants to do in your life. He doesn't want you to try to be a better person. He wants to make you a new creation. He wants to make you a new creation so that you can live with him forever. The law can't do that. 
The law cannot make what was dead alive. Only the Spirit can do that. The reason is that the law is given outside of you. It cannot work in you, and it cannot transform you. It can only point out your failure. But in Christ, the Spirit comes to live inside of you, and He will transform you. If you want hope as a struggling Christian, it's that the Spirit lives inside of you, and not only can He, but He promises that He will change you. And the way that that happens is by the Spirit teaching us what is spiritual and showing us that what the rest of the world offers will only help to condemn us. It will never free us. The things the world tells you that you need are hard to acquire and they will only enslave you. Both, they're, both, they're hard to get and they'll make you a slave. You can be rich, but you will become a slave to your wealth if it's your wealth and your money that you are pursuing and that defines you. You can trust in your health, but you will be despondent when the temporary body that you are in now fails you. You can chase the American dream, but you'll never quite get there because there will always be somebody just a little ways ahead of you that you can't quite seem to catch up to. The way of Jesus, life in the Spirit, is much better than these things. Jesus says, come to me because my yoke is light and my burden is easy. The reason that Jesus is able to say that is because when we come to him, we no longer have to strive not only after the things of this world, but we no longer have to fight ourselves. We no longer have to war within ourselves. Our passions, as it says other places in scripture, are not going to be any longer at war with inside of you inside of us because the Spirit will come and He will live inside of us and He will rightly order our passions and He will transform us and so we will have peace and our joy will be the things of the Lord and our desire will be to be a grace-filled person with compassion on those who suffer. Spreading the good news of hope in Christ to people who don't know it. That's what it looks like to live under the Spirit. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we used to be under the law and in the flesh. And all we could be under that is condemned. But now we are under the Spirit and God has given that gift by grace. Have you taken hold of it? Are you walking with the Spirit? Are you sensing newness of life? This is a great time to contemplate these very weighty things. I think we're contemplating, maybe for most of us like never before, just kind of the nature of what does it mean to live? What does it mean to be me? What does it mean to be a person among the people? What are my priorities? Take this time 
to come under the banner of the Spirit and live life with Him and He in you. If you've never done that, do it right now. Say, Jesus, I want to be in you and under your Spirit. Come in. Come into my heart. If you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, ask him to walk in greater step with the Spirit today, giving you renewed passion and a renewed joy for life with him. Let's pray together. God, may our church be people of the Spirit, a supernatural people, not because we figured it out, but because we've released and been liberated from our bondage to sin and death. There's no, therefore now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. May we walk with him. I pray for anybody watching this, if they are burdened and weary, if they have been carrying a heavy yoke, feeling weighed down by a great burden, may they come to Jesus. His burden is easy. Jesus, your yoke is light. Amen. Our Savior Evangelical Free Church is a congregation located in Wheeling, Illinois. Our vision can be summed up in four words, building community, bringing Christ. To learn more about what these words mean, visit our website at osefc.org.